The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. We do the digging so you don't have to. We've got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Bringing you the biggest stories from the industry you care about. This is the Media Noise Podcast. Well, let's hear it. Now, here's your host, Dimitri Ravanos. I am not going to do a monologue at the top of today's show. This entire show is going to be about the late Vin Scully. Uh, I feel like maybe later on next week, maybe I'll write a second column or something like that. But uh, I wanted to bring on Andy Mazur, who wrote a beautiful eulogy for the late voice of the Dodgers for the site. And he and I went pretty long in recording, so I'm skipping the monologue. We will get straight to Andy Mazur as he and I discuss the legacy of one Vincent Edward Scully. Well, I, I don't quite know how to characterize this episode because while I don't think it is fair to call this a eulogy, it is going to be far more celebratory than that. It's also not a celebration, right? Like it's not, you can't really call it a celebration when, let's take sports out of it for a second, Andy, and Andy Mazur uh, is with me this week. Just from a broadcasting point of view, we lost an icon in in Vince Scully. I mean, between the voice, and we're going to get into some stuff on the voice here in just a second, but the storytelling, the fact that there were times when he was bigger than the team. I mean, it's it's really hard to put into context what Vince Scully was in this business. Uh, top of the mountain. I mean, there's nobody even close. I mean, you need binoculars to see him. That's how far away <laughs> yeah. everybody else is, even the best of the best. Don't add up to him. I mean, you mentioned the storytelling, and a lot of people don't realize also that he worked alone for the better part of the mm-hmm. last 15 years. So if there was something going on in the field, there was one one time I remember when I was in San Diego, uh, Padres and the, and the Dodgers early in the game, a bench-clearing brawl. Uh-huh. And Vin doesn't have anybody to bounce anything off of. He has only the replay and his own knowledge and his own way of doing things. I mean, you could see Matt Kemp was was mouthing a bad word. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, all Vin would say is fertilizer, fertilizer. He's saying that's fertilizer. I mean, who thinks of that kind of stuff? I mean, right. This right. Is, I, I mean, this yeah, is the same the guy. guy. This is the same guy that, uh, I mean, gosh, you talk about the, the last 15 years working alone. That's why you learn to tell the story of Madison Baumgartner, you know, murdering a stake. Why you learn to tell the story of Johnny Gomes somehow avoiding uh, being eaten by a wolf. I mean, to watch these things, and everybody's been resharing these videos the last few days, to watch these things so casually worked in and the count never forgotten, what is happening on the field, never forgotten. Uh, you know, it 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 is it is like a far more fun and celebratory version of the and that's a long fly ball from Castellanos. You know what I mean? I mean, it is yeah. so never lose sight of why you're there, but also never lose sight of what makes this good. And that is the ability to be a human being in the booth. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned sometimes he's bigger than the team, but he never thought he was bigger than sure. any game. You know, I mean, it, it, you, and you could tell him because he called three perfect games and a bunch of no hitters. And it was always left to the fans because he had this innate ability to know when to lay out. And he did it often. Uh, And there were certain things and certain ways that he would broadcast moments that I got to admit, I, I, when I called the Lucas Giolito no hitter in August of 2020, I mentioned the date because Vin mentioned the time 
of a Sandy Koufax no hitter in 1965. And I wanted to have a little piece of, you know, Vin in that call because he's Vin, you know, I mean, it's, it's the ability he had to understand and feel the game itself is, is unparalleled because, you know, there's a lot of guys and, and you know, myself included, that you know, you'll start a story with two outs or you'll start a story with it. It's a double play with one out and you're, you know, you're hung out to dry, but he right. knew how to get out. He knew how to get in. He knew how to get out. And he knew never to allow the game to get so far out of hand that you didn't know what was going on. You know, you can't even put into words what this guy meant to to broadcasting, what he meant to the Dodgers, both Brooklyn and Los Angeles, and what he meant to Major League Baseball. This was a this is a guy that you know, if if you didn't know anything about baseball, you didn't know anything about any of the games. You knew Vin Scully. I guarantee you people knew Vin Scully, and that's the, that's the fact. So I, I was going to bring this up when we start to talk about his voice, but I think it's worth bringing up now because you're right. If you didn't know baseball, you knew Vin Scully. Uh, Harry Shearer, the actor, is he's a huge baseball fan, right? And we'll always acknowledge that he is a – I think he's a huge Dodgers fan, if I remember right. But, um, you know, he would do the Vin Scully voice anytime there was a Simpsons episode that took you to a baseball stadium. <laughs> he was always doing the Vin Scully impression. The famous line is, and here come the pretzels. That was, you know, his famous Vin Scully impersonation line. But that is one of those moments where – you know, I think if you're a college football fan and you think about announcers, maybe you think Keith Jackson voice, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe different sports, you think different voices. But I think when most of us imagine an announcer in our head, I think it's Vin's voice. I think Vin's voice is a version of iconic that goes beyond baseball, right? Like it is. It's iconic for Los Angeles. Remember, he did the VO on the tribute at Kobe Bryant and his daughter's funeral. Yep. He he did so many of those things too because back when he was doing World Series and uh, NLCS and ALCS uh, for C uh, for NBC, he did that famous intro to Wrigley Field before mm-hmm. Game One of the 1989 National League Championship Series, Cubs and the Giants. Uh, you're right. I mean, he he was the voice of baseball, and there's no real doubting it because, yeah, there's a lot of great announcers out there. I think John Miller is, is one of the one of the best uh, to to ever lace him up. Howie Rose. Uh, out there in New York as well, Pat Hughes in Chicago. I mean, these are guys that that have been at it a long time and are at the top of their game and are very, very good. But I guarantee you, each one of those three will admit that they've never gotten to the level that Vin Scully got. <laughs> right. Because, first of all, think about 67 years. Mm-hmm. 60, I mean, coast to coast with the Brooklyn Dodgers. With the LA, he was the last link, basically, to the right. Brooklyn Dodgers when he retired in 2016, he called games with Jackie Robinson in him. For goodness sakes, that was his first lineup at Pee Wee Reese leading off. I mean, he has seen it all from Drysdale to Colfax to Newcomb to everybody in between. He called some great moments. He called not only baseball. I mean, the guy called tennis and golf and football. I mean, right. I don't remember growing up as a bears fan on CBS. He would call a couple of, a couple of bears games, a big one. As a matter of fact, when they beat the giants to get the wild card, yeah, I'll he never called. Forget. He called the uh, the Montana to and, Dwight uh, right Dwight Clark Dwight Clark uh, the, yeah, the catch yeah the catch in, in San Francisco against the uh, against the Cowboys, you know and it's he, he is that guy if you if you think about a tone that baseball should have yes and, and I've talked about this in some articles that I've written for for you guys and and I, I, I there's a certain tone that a baseball game needs to have it's down home it's folksy it's <laughs> trusting. Yeah, and I I wrote that in the piece because I really feel like there's a lot of people out there right now that have a hole in their heart 
they never met the man. Mm -hmm. But listening to him, watching him, he seemingly cared about each and every one of the people that he was broadcasting a game to. I mean, when he retired, I needed you more than you needed me. Poppycock. Yeah. I mean, that, come on, man. I mean, stop being so darn modest. It's it's funny you say that, like that idea of there is this hole in our hearts for this guy we've never met. Because it's, it's very similar to how I felt uh, when we found out that Robin Williams committed suicide. I mean, you know, like I am, I am going to be 41 next month and like, you know, that stretch of from Hook to Aladdin, right? Hook, Mrs. <laughs> Doubtfire, Aladdin. Like that was that was the prime of my early teen years. And so to think someone like that, that brought you that much joy is in that much pain is hard to, is hard to stomach. I think in the, in the case of Vin, you know, what struck me on Sunday is he was in 94. Like, we can't be surprised by this. Or, I'm sorry, not on Sunday, on Tuesday. You can't be surprised by this. But at the same time, just like Bill Russell on Sunday, like those two guys just felt immortal. And maybe part of it was the fact that they were not only around for so long, but around and, I mean, for, forgive the term. The term is going to be very, um, it's going to seem very rude, but around and functional, right? Like Bill Russell could still tell stories. Vin Scully only retired, what, seven years ago? Six years yeah, ago? Six years ago, yeah. From from calling games. I, I mean, it just gave this air, first of Bill and then of Vin here in this last week of, oh, this does happen to all of us at some point. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, I've, I've told people this, too, that have asked me about Vin and working until, you know, he was in his late 80s. Mm-hmm. And there are certain guys that work into their mid seventies, you know, mid, you know, late seventies that you can tell, yeah, lost a little zip from the fastball. Yep. I mean, and they'll probably be the first to tell you that, that that's happening. Vin still had that four seamer that was going to bust you inside and break your bat. I mean, because this guy had it all and he, he knew how to pace himself, mm -hmm. which is the biggest thing in a baseball game, whether you're doing it on TV or radio, you never know how long the game is going to go. You don't want to blow all your good stuff in the beginning you, you kind of need to have a pace to it. And he personified that pace because it was, again, an easy flowing broadcast. But when it needed to be serious, it was serious. When it needed to be exciting, it was exciting. Right. When he could goof around a little bit, he goofed around a little bit. I mean, it, people find that hard to believe. But go back and look at some of the YouTube clips. He was having a good time, uh, you know, even by himself. He had he had his trusty man, Boyd, right by his side most of the time uh, in, the, in a TV booth. And Boyd did a lot of work, uh, a lot of prep work and, and got Vin ready to go and really kind of, uh, metered that booth a little bit mm -hmm. when people wanted to hang out there and wanted to meet him and wanted to see him. You know, Vin was never one and wanted to say no. Uh, so, you <laughs> right. know, Boyd had to do it every once in a while, unfortunately for him. But, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, he did not lose anything off the fastball. He didn't lose any zip off it whatsoever. And, you know, a testament to the man and how modest he was is when 2017 rolls around, the, the year after he retires, the Dodgers go back to the World Series. And there's a petition started by Dodgers fans that want him to come in and call the World Series rather than Joe Buck. Mm -hmm. Joe Buck, to his credit, was on board and really wanted yeah. wanted Vin to come in. And Vin's like, no, you guys are doing a great job. You don't need me. I've called enough of these. Yeah. And, you know, that just is a he's not a limelight. He wasn't a limelight seeker. He just wanted to go in there and do what he did and do what he loved to do. You know, it's all right. So you've been the voice of two major league teams and part of three teams broadcast. So I have that correct. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. So I don't think I have to tell someone like you with your experience, there will never be another Vin Scully. But I did want to share this story with you because like, like there literally may never be another Vin Scully. I was talking to a young guy. Um, he's, he's uh, calling games for an unaffiliated minor league team right now. And he was asking me about making that transition from just doing play-by-play to play-by-play in a show. And I said, well, you know, part of it is if you're moving to a show, you do have to be able to tell stories. So you should be able to do that. Like you're getting to do that every night in the summertime. And he told me, well, not really. Uh, he said, when I got hired, one of the things they that the the boss told me was that the days of these were, according to him, his boss's exact words, the days of Vin Scully telling you about his wife's apple pie are over. Just tell me what's happening on the field. And I I think I kind of understand what the boss is going for, but that idea of never personalize this at all, that's really sad to think about. It's a crime. And yeah. you know what? There, there are bosses in the major leagues that have told broadcasters the same thing. Um, unfortunately, I, you know, I, I know firsthand that, that some of the stories that, uh, that they're, they're very true and very real because baseball is one of those sports that has such a connection between the announcer and the fan base. Right. It's incredible. I mean, I spent seven seasons with the Padres in San Diego, which is not a lot of, not, not a real long time, but I still have people contacting me via Twitter. Hey, you know, I grew up listening to you and it makes me feel really old, but you know, it's still at the same time. <laughs> It's nice to hear that, you know, you were that voice of someone's summer and you have to have fun. You can't you can't sit there for a nine inning game that's eight to one. Your team's yeah. getting pasted. What are you going to do? Ball one, ball two. There's a strike. I mean, <laughs> come on. Who's going to listen to that? I mean, yeah. And you know what? The thing is that Vin taught everybody, I think, is the ability to know when to, you know, kind of go to that shtick and when to, you know, call a game deadpan and serious because. Certain situations called for that. But Vin, the, the the mastery of what Vin did, Vin always knew the end of the story. Right. And I know that sounds stupid, but sometimes, you know, if you don't know where, where it's ending, you can't end it if you need to end it right away. Yeah. Vin had an innate ability that if the inning was coming to an end, God forbid it was a triple play and he started, you know, he started a, a story. He knew how to get out of it or he knew how to extend it to the next break. Right. And there are not a lot of people that know how to do that. And you're right. It's a lost art. And I think that some people kind of take it to an extreme when they try to tell stories. They try to tell too many stories. They try right. to tell stories that aren't relevant. They try to tell stories that nobody really cares about. You, you've got to find interesting things about your players, interesting things. I mean, Jerry Coleman, when he and I worked together and with, with Ted Leitner, Ted Leitner, would, all he would have to do is say, hey, Jerry, what'd you do today? And it was a segment <laughs> that everybody loved because they, they loved Jerry because right. they got to know Jerry over the years. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's 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 a love affair. And I think if you ask anybody that grew up in Brooklyn or anybody that grew up in L.A. or anybody that grew up a baseball fan, there is something that is going to be missing from this game now forever. So I do wonder, as someone that has done this job uh, for a number of years, who of the tributes to the man that you saw, did you kind of feel like that guy that guy gets what this means? Uh, Michael K. I, I thought he he was he was great, you know. And there's been so many, you know, John mm -hmm. Miller, 
Uh, Pat Hughes was was talking about I, that. I thought you know, Brent Musburger's was pretty short, but I thought if you're talking about like a single sentence, it, Los Angeles was a baseball town because of Vince Scully was pretty that's great. That's the truth. Yeah, no, that's the truth. I mean, you know, few words need to, you know, you don't really need to say a lot of words to to kind of express feelings. You know, unfortunately, I wrote <laughs> yeah. an entire column about it, but, uh, you know, I, I had a little trouble expressing myself. But, yeah, I mean, th- there's so many people that are in such deference to him. But the one thing that th- there's there's always one thing that all these broadcasters kind of have in common. I saw Don Orsillo uh, also had something uh, he posted where it was a, he was an intern with mm-hmm. a picture next to Vin. And now he was three years or four years ago as a Padres announcer sitting next to him talking about how he called the, uh, called Vin for advice about uh, when he left Boston about San Diego. He goes, go to San Diego. They're going to love you there. I mean, who does that? It's Vin Scully, for goodness sakes. Yeah. But he was a friend to all of these people. He was a friend. He was a colleague. He never saw himself as the top of the mountain. He always I, saw himself as one of the guys. I, I don't know if you saw this. I, I don't know if you are aware of uh, of Wes Durham, uh, who works yeah. for the ACC Network. His dad, Woody, was the play-by-play voice of the Tar Heels here in North Carolina forever. He posted this beautiful handwritten note that Vin sent Woody when Woody retired saying, you know, like I I know from people here in Southern California, what you mean to Tar Heels fans and you've, you know, earned this retirement, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Wes wrote in his Twitter message, like they never met. Like this was just Vin understanding the responsibility that comes with being the voice of a fan base. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that Vin got it. He got it always. I mean, you know, the beginnings with, uh, with Red Barber weren't easy for him. Yeah. I think he learned, uh, you know, from, from Red that, you know, listen, I, I, I need to be, I need to be kind to people. And not that Red was not kind, but, you know, he was, he was not as friendly to the, to the younger guy that, you know, maybe some of the other uh, broadcasters, uh, you know, may have been. Luckily for me, I mean, I've never had that, had that situation where someone has been, you know, trying to, to push me down. Uh, and I don't know if that was exactly the case, but it didn't sound like the relationship was, you know, was was tremendous. And I think Vin, at a young age, learned about you know what it's like to be one of the guys, you know, be one of the fellows that uh, you know one of thirty that are doing this job at this point. And you know, there's a big responsibility, as you pointed out. There's a big responsibility to the fan base, and there's a big responsibility to each other because it's it's a fraternity. I mean, there everybody's got different styles. No one wants to be you know Vin. Yeah, and, you know, and Vin didn't want to be Howie Rose, and Howie Rose didn't want to be Pat Hughes, and Pat Hughes didn't want to be John Miller. It's hard enough to be the second, you know, the first you than the second somebody else is what I tell my broadcasting students all the time as well. But I, I think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Vin wanted to make it seem, and not just seem, but he really did feel that he was one of he would walk into the visiting booth or the home booth all the time. Hey, what you know, what's going on with your ball club? You know, and he would make it known that. He wanted to know, and who's gonna, who's not going to talk to Vin about their team? You know what I mean? All right, a big thank you to Andy Mazur and condolences not just to the family of Vin Scully, but baseball fans everywhere, fellow broadcasters. Like, this is a, you know, this is on the level of a John Madden. This is the voice of the sport for a generation of people. And, you know, you, I mean, I guess, geez, in Vin's case, multiple generations of people, right? And I'll go back to what I said earlier. To lose him in the same week as Bill Russell, it just doesn't feel believable. This concludes our broadcast day. Thanks for listening to the Media Noise Podcast with Dimitri Ravanos. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. And check back soon for new episodes. 
To stay up to date on the latest sports media happenings, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.